millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Tara Conklin is the author of Community Board, a novel, Tara was born in St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands and raised in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. She's the author of the New York Times bestsellers, The Last Romantics, and The House Girl. Welcome, Tara. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your latest novel, Community Board. Thank you, Zibby. I'm so happy to be here. Can you please tell listeners what your novel is about? Yes. Community Board is the story of a somewhat hapless heroine, hapless at least at the beginning, Darcy Clipper, whose life falls apart when her husband decides to leave her rather unceremoniously for a professional skydiver whom he met on a team building, corporate team building event. And she returns home to her hometown to be sort of nursed back to emotional health by her parents, only to find that they have moved to Arizona without telling her. So it's really the story of the prodigal daughter returning to her, returning to her kind of place of safety and finding that everything has changed and she needs to rebuild herself, rebuild her life and rebuild her community. And that's community board. Amazing. What that doesn't say is how funny it is. Like you're so <laughs> funny. It's like the sense of humor and all of it. Like, like they sell roach clips or something across the street. And she's like, what? Well, they're like, it's legal here, Darcy. It's okay. <laughs> she's like, 
It's like, not in Arizona, but your dad has his ways. It's like, I don't want to know. <laughs> I had a lot of fun writing it. I mean, I, I wrote it mainly during COVID when I really needed something. We all needed something to laugh about. And, and so I was like, okay, the world is falling apart. My children are at home 24-7 <laughs> doing remote schooling. Like, we're all going to die. I'm just going to write something that makes me giggle at the screen, you know, at least for an hour or two a day rather than doom scrolling and, you know, buying masks online. <laughs> I feel like at some point there will be, if there hasn't already been, and I just missed it, some sort of like deep dive into the types of novels that came out of the pandemic. Like what were they writing? You know, do you go like funny? Do you go, some people went like deep into their own lives or like the uh, most depressing. And, you know, so I love this. Yeah. this you're like watching people's coping mechanisms in real time. Totally, totally. And I mean, not just novels, just like all the art that's been created. You know, Bo Burnham had a thing on Netflix that he did totally during COVID, like all by himself. I don't know if you saw it, but I thought that was really sort of a brilliant use of quarantine time. But yeah, this was my, this was my attempts to make sense of everything. And I wanted Darcy, so I really wanted to examine what was going on with me and with my friends and with my kids during this period of time, but I didn't want it to be a novel about COVID. Mm-hmm. So so that was why I set the entire thing in the year 2019. Don't mention COVID once. And it's funny because sometimes I think some people who read it that I gather from some of the Goodreads and Amazon reviews that I have accidentally uh, <laughs> read. They they don't necessarily make the connections to COVID until they read my acknowledgement section where I specifically say, like, this is a novel that came out of COVID. And um, which I find is interesting because when I was writing it, I was like, oh my God, Tara, you're being so over the top. This is like too, like the connections are too obvious and you, maybe you should, you know, lighten it up a little bit. So that so that I found interesting that that this kind of isolation, this period of isolation that she goes through really was intended to mimic a bit of what I was going through and my friends were going through during COVID. Wow. All the weeping. All the weeping. (laughs) Yeah. And the food. Yeah. And I mean, just that emotional, like the emotional landscape of, you know, having every single thing in your life change in an instant. And what do you do? Like, what, what can you do? And there's, you know, the retreat, the emotional retreat of like having to kind of protect yourself and 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 just living with fear and anxiety. And then gradually as Darcy kind of comes out into the world again, which I feel is still kind of happening, like book events and dinner parties and school thing, you know, things at my kid's school. And those things are are still like, I feel like people are still kind of working their way back into normal, normal everyday interactions and relationships and, and like the social, you know, anxiety of looking people in the eye again. And, you know, like it's there, it's, it's, it's still happening. Well, you also touch on in such a funny way the whole enabling culture of parents of you know hand holding kids for too long and the yeah. series of all the things they let her 
kind of quit, right? From college to now, of course, I can't remember, but just like the series yeah, of things. Yeah. Like, no, no, you're fine. You know, yeah. come home from camp, do whatever you need. It'll, like all of a sudden you try to come home from life and you can't. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, they, I, I feel like Darcy is sort of the quintessential like participation prize person. Like at least, <laughs> you know, like she got, she gets her participation prize and she's like, and her parents have definitely, I mean, she's sort of a coddled only child and her parents have really propped her up her entire life. And when they're not there, I mean, she's 29, you know, and I feel like maybe I was poking a little bit of fun at sort of what I view as like the millennial, you know, like the millennial kind of culture of, you know, the kids who are moving, who live with their parents until they're in their thirties. And, and, you know, they, they have really done that for her. And she, you know, there's one point in the book where she says, you know, I've become an emotionally, I'm, I've become an emotional blood-sucking leech and my parents have crossed state lines to escape me. <laughs> so she kind of has that realization that she does need to stand on her own. She needs to, she needs to find herself. And that's pretty, yeah, that's sort of the, that's really the arc of, of the book. And of course I tell it through a lot of board posts. Yes. <laughs> Are you during COVID or now or whatever? Are, which boards do you follow? Like for your tech, like which ones? Well, where, where did the inspiration come from? Yeah. Well, I had and probably still do have, I will admit, a sort of unhealthy uh, obsession with my neighborhood next door board. And when the the idea for this book was first kind of percolating, because I had the idea before COVID, because I would read these posts and I would just be like, holy cow, <laughs> are these people? And like, there's so much drama and so much tragedy and so much comedy and pathos and kindness and, and racism and sexism. And I mean, every good thing, every bad thing shows up on these boards. And I was like, I don't need to, you know, there's a novel, right? On an everyday, you know, a Wednesday in the middle of June in Seattle. So I have my, my next door. And then I also am on a group called Madrona Moms. Madrona is my little neighborhood here in Seattle. And those are, those are the two main ones that I, that I kind of lurk on and everyone's <laughs> while sell an old pouch or something. But it was funny when my friends found out that I was writing this book, I, you know, everybody was sending me their favorite posts from their neighborhood message board. So I was getting stuff from like Menlo Park and the Upper East Side and, you know, <laughs> over, all in Chicago and Austin. And so I have quite a uh, collection at this point. So funny. Oh my gosh. My, my <laughs> husband is still, I unsubscribed, but my husband still follows our next door one in LA. And he, he was like reading emails at a traffic light, which of course he shouldn't be doing, but he was like, you know, scrolling and he happened yeah. to like, look at the thing. And it was like, I've lost my pet owl. And he was like, who has a pet owl? And then he like put the phone down, looked up and literally right in front of him in like another part of LA was this owl. And he's like, oh my God, is this the owl? And like, what am I even supposed to do with this 
hilarious that is really yeah I mean you can't see you can't make it up like I know it's like do I write back on the board like do I try to capture the owl or I don't know so yeah you can't make this stuff up yeah well that was the like lost pets was obviously a big part of the book and that's sort of her first foray back into the world yeah and catching birds you know she put a piece of bacon on her head and and (laughs) walked around (laughs) the park hoping the bird would swoop down but yeah there's I mean there's yeah there's so much all right so you you probably do not have time to lurk on on these boards and I was before but the problem is every time the emails would come you'd have to go click and then log in yeah yeah just like be there so then I'd have to go in I don't know I don't like that then I would forget my password or it wouldn't be saved on the right computer like I don't know I I had access problems basically (laughs) too complicated for me area I hear (laughs) you but I should go back to it because it is yeah, you should not, you should I not should. go back to it. Just <laughs> away. That's what I should do as well. Um, <laughs> I mean, I liked telling, I, I like sort of, I'm, I really enjoyed creating this narrative out of these, you know, cause it's, cause I have board posts and then I have a, a kind of a more straightforward narrative. And then I have, draft emails that she writes but does not send to her ex-husband because <laughs> that is something I don't know if I very often will be like you know really mad about something and like write the email and then I'm like okay I need to step away yeah, <laughs> yeah. I put it usually in a document though, because I'm so worried I'm accidentally going to send it or I'll forget it's a draft or I'll forget what it is or I'll put somebody else the wrong email or my kids will send it or I don't know. So then I started password protecting Word docs. Now I can't remember any of my passwords. So I have all these things like when I was really upset like years ago. And anyway, I can never read them again, which is probably fine. I should have just deleted them. Yeah. And the, the sort of cathartic, you had that release, you got it out on paper. And that was the important thing. Yes, that's always nice. But I do feel like also in community board, you totally tapped into the, you know, almost 30. The, my life has to be set right now. This is the biggest turning point that you only realize when you're like <laughs> post 40 was like totally not a turning point at all. It was just like a stepping stone and that the real changes come a little bit later. Yeah, yeah, totally. I do. I definitely remember that kind of, and it was dun, 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 you know, yeah. I'm going to be 30. Yeah. And it's, and it is just kind of a, a, a little blip. You're not <laughs> an adult even at that point. I mean, you pretend to be, but there's so much more waiting for her. And I mean, and that, you know, I feel like Darcy by the end of the book, she is, you know, she's kind of found her family like she's found her place and found and, and it really is a story about found family and and kind of deciding where you're going to be and where you're going to stay and how you're going to build a life and she's you know just turned 30 and she's like at the beginning of that journey 
gosh. So this book actually came out quite a bit ago. I have no idea why it took us so long to even talk about it. I don't know what happened, but I was like, what? I've had that book forever. So have you written like an entire other book at this point, basically, or what's what's going on? Are you releasing another book like next month? Or <laughs> Oh, God, I wish. I am in such awe of those people who can, the writers who can write books, you know, one a year, the one a year people. I am working on another book, but it is not going to be ready publication and it's I don't know maybe I'm more of like once every three or four (laughs) so so I'm working on a book and it's I I really enjoy writing different kinds of novels I mean my first was kind of historical fiction my second was a big family epic well maybe maybe go into them more for people who haven't read those books oh yeah my first book was called the house girl And it's a dual narrative book. It's a story of a young lawyer in New York and a young woman who's enslaved on a a tobacco plantation in Virginia in the 1860s. And it goes back and forth between those two timeframes. So that was my first novel. And I wrote it while, because I, in my previous life, I was a lawyer and I wrote it kind of while I was being a lawyer and, and did not think at all that. I was ever going to be sitting here talking to you about books, you know, as a writer. <laughs> I really, it, I mean, when you talk about, you know, starting your life or kind of reinvention and, and that is definitely something that has happened to me over the past 10 years or so. So, so that was my first novel. And then my second was The Last Romantics, which was, uh, well, it, it's about four siblings and uh, a tragedy that takes place within this family. And it's set over basically a hundred years and it's narrated from the future by uh, my protagonist, Fiona. And she is a poet and she is kind of looking back on her life and she's telling the story of her, of her family and then community board. (laughs) And the next one, I mean, I'm actually, I'm kind of, deep in it right now. And it's, I don't have an elevator speech for it quite yet, but it's kind of a literary thriller. I want, it's a story of a, a young woman. It's also kind of a love story, but it's about a murder of a, of someone. Mm. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty vague. Yeah, it is a little vague. And it, I, I guess the inspiration, I really haven't t- talked about this at all. So okay. <laughs> inspiration, you know, I'm always really fascinated by, fascinated and horrified by women who do not support other women Mm. and women who, like my worst boss was a very successful woman. And I just, and I just remember, you know, being like, why are you like this? Like, is it a hazing thing? Is it a, you know, jealousy thing. Like you have it easier than I had it. Cause you know, like generationally, but I've just, it just, I have, I'm one of three sisters and, you know, and I have a lot of very, very close female friends and, and I just do not understand women who don't support other women. So, and kind of the, the, epitome of that was the whole Ghislaine Maxwell uh, thing with Jeffrey Epstein. And and her, she as like a person is so just horrible. I mean, the like what she did year after year and, and the, you know, to these young women. So anyhow, that is sort of a, a very 
long-winded way of saying like that kind of betrayal, a woman betraying another woman is sort of at the the crux of this novel. That sounds, that sounds really good. That sounds really good. I love that. Everybody can relate to that. Mean bosses and women. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, we can all relate. That sounds Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Great. So what do you do when you're not writing this next book and you're not promoting your other book? (laughs) (laughs) What do I do? Well, I just got back from a big family reunion in Vermont that we just missed all the flooding that is going on right now there. Crazy, my gosh. And it was raining pretty much continuously during this, during this time, during the trip. But, um, but it was still lovely to see. It was the first time we had all kind of been uh, back together since COVID. And most of my family's on the East Coast. I'm originally from Massachusetts. And now that I live in Seattle, I don't, you know, I don't get back as I don't see them as often. So it was really nice. And my dad is one of six kids and then he has four sisters and they all have kids and their kids all have kids. So it was like getting all of the like cousins and second cousins all together. And and that was really fun. But when I'm not, when I'm just kind of at home, (laughs) I like my garden. I garden and I do a lot of yoga. And I also, and I teach, I teach at Hugo House, which is a center for writers um, here in Seattle. And I also work uh, with some private clients on manuscript development. And I do kind of some ghostwriting on the side, like political ghostwriting, using my the other side of my brain, my writerly brain from my law school days, my lawyer days. And that's, yeah, I play with my dog, hang out with my boyfriend, <laughs> hang out with my kids. <laughs> well, my, my oldest is applying to college in the fall oh my gosh it's freaking me out 
So we've been doing a lot of college tours too. My son, who's 16, was literally like, so next summer, are we going to just like tour colleges the whole time? Like, should we plan that? I was like, oh my gosh. Don't talk about it. Just- I know. Then I was like, oh, I have a great idea because I have a novel coming out in March. And I was like, this is perfect. We'll go on like a joint college book tour and I can do all my bookstore events. And he's like, in the colleges? <laughs> no, <laughs> like, I don't want you to do anything in the colleges I will get. And then I remember how little I wanted my parents to even like speak on our tours. Yeah, you know, I was like, don't say anything. Just don't say anything. <laughs> oh my God. Every time I ask a question, I feel like my daughter kind of shoots yeah. me a dirty look, you know? Someone told me this year, like a couple months ago, and I feel like, of course, I'm already behind, which is totally the case of parenting all all the time, that the advice comes too late. And by the time I hear it, it's too late. But anyway, that you should be looking at colleges. Like anytime you go anywhere with a kid, you should like run them over to the closest college. You know, like I was like, what, what, like there, you're on a family trip to, you know, wherever LA, like run, go to UCLA, go to USC, like go on the tour, no matter how young your kids are. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Another thing to put on the list. No way. No. Yeah. That is horrible advice. Sorry. (laughs) Good. Cause I didn't do it and I'm already behind. Oh oh my God. And it's stressful. It's like stressful for you. And also it takes freaking forever. These tours are like an hour long. Then they have the information session. Then you have to go to the bookstore and like buy a sweatshirt and (laughs) it's like half a day. Like it's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. And it is, and it's stressful. I mean, I find it stressful just because, you know, I don't want my daughter to move away and I love having her here. And, and she finds it stressful for obvious reasons. Cause I mean, it's such a different landscape than when I was applying to college. Like, so, I mean, there's the acceptance rates are so low. It's like, it's just mind boggling, you know, like 4% of people getting into, you know, uh, UCLA, for example, we went to look at UCLA and it's just, it's nuts. So, yeah. I do feel that the expectations though have shifted. Like, I feel like enough people have kind of gotten the memo, like it's impossible to get into any schools. Like, so just go anywhere, like just do well. That's like when I, when I look at resumes, you know, for whatever, I'm like, like, I literally do not care about the college, but I'm like, but how did you do? Like, you really graduated Phi Beta Kappa from any school in the world? Okay, come talk to me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, no, I think I think it has shifted. Also with the, the cost being so crazy. Yeah. It's like, you know, our kids, you know, kids haven't, you know, even if you get into one of these schools, then you have to find a way to pay for it. And then if you're graduating, you know, with however much in debt, like that is, that is a huge, you know, that's a huge burden. So yeah, it's, I mean, right now I'm like, just trying to, just trying to get my head around the fact that, you know, she's not going to be in her bedroom every night. <laughs> like I'm not gonna, yeah. And she's two. I have my, I have three kids and my younger are both boys and she is like such the calming presence like the boys are always kind of sniping at each other not always but they definitely have more of a like antagonistic relationship and and she is always very calm and she's so yeah I don't know what's gonna happen when she when she <laughs> flies the coop <laughs> you mentioned a boyfriend so do they ever go to your do you do you, are you divorced is that what happened I mean, do they ever go to your yeah. ex or? yeah I got divorced about 10 years ago but like the reinvention was was 
everything. And they, they are, they, we do 50, 50. So, and he lives with his, his new wife about, I don't know, five minutes from here. So it's very, it's very easy and they can walk between houses. And at this point they're, you know, it's been long enough that they're, they're pretty accustomed to it. And um, yeah, I have that too. I'm divorced and we live close by, but I feel like it, like I went through some of the things that parents who have never had that go through only with college. Do you know what I mean? Like, at least I have time with the rooms empty. Like I've learned what to do with my life. Like I don't, right. We get like a, it's a early transition or something. Yeah. No, you're right. It is. Yeah. Not that it's the same. It's not the same. I'm just saying like, at least, yeah. at least there's some like training wheels on it or something. I yeah. No, you're right. And yeah. And because, you know, at the beginning, and maybe you had this when you first got divorced, like when the kids would go to their dads, I would just be so sad and so bad. Oh my God. And then over time, you just kind of, you get used to it. And then you're like, oh my God, I can just, I have all this, like, I can do so much stuff. Like when the kid, you know. <laughs> yeah. I would like sit in my son's room. I remember this one time in the beginning, like all the lights off at night and like all the kids' rooms were empty. And I was just sitting in his armchair, like holding his stuffed animals, like looking out the window forlorn. Like I was, you know, I mean, it's so ridiculous. Like they were, you know, this is not, anyway, it was so sad. And now I feel like I get sad only when they're really sad. Like if they're having a tough transition, then I'm back to being a mess. But if they're happy to go off, I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Adjustments. And I, yeah, it's, I I mean, I do think I am a big proponent of quality parenting over quantity (laughs) and parenting. And I do think that I am a better parent Mm -hmm. because like I get those breaks, particularly when they were younger. I mean, now, you know, as teenagers, there, there's a lot less, or at least I mean, I was going to say there's a lot less parenting involved, I, which I don't think is true. It's just different kind of parenting. And it's, yeah, yeah. I interviewed Jay Ryan Stradle. Yeah, yeah. And he was saying that with his wife, they have a three-year-old, they have different divorcee nights on the calendar where like you're allowed to do whatever you want, pretend you're like divorced and like you have a night off. It's like, there's something to it. Anyway. Totally. I have taught, you know, so many of my friends are like, God, I wish that I could have 50-50 custody, even though I don't want to get divorced. Like, I wish that I could do, like... I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, with... I mean, this is a whole other discussion, yeah. but, <laughs> like, the intensity of parenting today, I mean, it is kind of a miracle that people are able to hold it together without having breaks. And and I think, you know, it would be good for relationships, good for the kids to just have a time when you can step away, like a regular time, not, yes. not you know, yeah. oh, there's this one girl's weekend in two years that I'm going to go away for, you know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, sorry, we've seemed to have like completely shifted away from community board, but... It was lovely getting a chance to chat with you. And I know I'm, I was in Seattle for Andrea Dunlap. Do you know, you, I obviously know her. Yeah. You blurbed her book or something, didn't you? I loved her book and I love her where we have lunch and coffees and wine all the time. Yeah. All right. Well, if I'm ever back in Seattle, I would like to charge in on that drink session. (laughs) Please do. It would be wonderful. (laughs) 
All right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. Moms doesn't have time to read books. Oh, and um, thank you, Zabi. This was great. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.